Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. We're working our way through this great book. When I was a youth pastor, I was constantly looking for ways to motivate my students to be studious about God's Word. And uh, I had varying degrees of success. (laughs) One time I was sitting in my office no doubt feeling a little bit jealous that the school teachers get to send out report cards which gets mom and dad's attention that maybe junior isn't doing quite what he should be doing in school. And I thought, why can't I send out report cards for Sunday school? And I looked around my office and nobody disagreed, so I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I made up a little report card on a half page of paper and I took out my Sunday school roll book and I started filling in all the little blanks that I had created. I had one for attendance. I had one for, you know, little, little check marks like student participates in the discussion or uh, student's lack of bringing his Bible has a negative impact on, you know, whatever. Had all these little boxes and comments and And so I filled out the report cards, put a letter grade, and mailed them home. And the next week, (laughs) in Sunday school, all of my high schoolers were going, why didn't you tell us you were going to do that? (laughs) Oh. In Hebrews 5, we're going to read about some people who got an F in Sunday school. They failed. And we're going to start to learn about why they failed, and we're going to learn more about the solution next week, but we're going to learn part of it this week. And this is really, to be honest with you, this is really a uh, a whip the people and send them out with the tail between their legs passage of Scripture. And I'm going to do my best to be kind, because I'm a Christian too. (laughs) And I'm going to look at this passage of Scripture from the perspective of three excuses as to why we don't grow in our knowledge of the Word and in our Christian life. Let's look at Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good 
and evil. The writer of this passage of scripture, and by the way, if I slip and say the Apostle Paul, that's wrong. <laughs> I'm so used to saying when I preach from the New Testament, Paul, when I talk about the writer of scripture, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, the writer of this passage of scripture, though, is writing to a group of people uh, who were extremely immature in the Christian faith. Now, there, are, there is two reasons to be immature in the Christian faith. One is you're a brand new Christian. And if you're a brand new Christian, if you haven't known the Lord for too long and, and you're struggling to understand some things, hey, praise the Lord, that's okay, that's normal. But the other reason to be immature is what he's going to talk about here today, and that is a person who has known the Lord for some period of time but has not been doing what they should be doing. And so he writes to these folks. The whole letter is addressed to a group of people, if you will, or a category of people. And he's been giving this tremendous doctrinal explanation of who Christ is and of why he is superior to every other person and every other belief. And what we looked at two weeks ago was the passage right before this where he talks about the high priesthood of Christ. And what he has just said before verse 11 is this, Christ is a high priest in the same way that Melchizedek, a character from the Old Testament, was a priest unto God. And after he says that, this is what he says in verse 11, of whom, of Melchizedek and of Christ in the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. He said there's a lot to teach here. But it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. What is the first excuse for peop that people give for why they don't know the word better and why they don't live it better? Number one, the Bible is hard to understand. People say, oh, it's hard to understand. And the reality, the first reality the, the, to go with that excuse would be this. There is a lot to learn. Now, if you were to say and said there's a lot to learn, then I'd say, yes, that's the truth. It's not hard to understand. There is a lot to learn. That's a big book. There's a lot of pages. You know, in my Bible, uh, my, my, you know, extra large print for preaching version, you know, I'm up a little over a thousand pages. That's a lot of material. And it's, it's full. It's crammed in there. There's a lot of material. The person who wrote this scripture said, we have much to say. Kind of like a preacher when he stands up on Sunday morning. I got a lot to say. There is a lot to learn. That is absolutely true. But the second reality is this. There are some hard passages. And frankly, the book of, Hebrew has, of Hebrews has a number of them. There are some hard passages. There are some extremely simple passages in the Word of God. What does God mean when he says, for instance, don't lie, but tell the truth? Well, that's not hard to understand unless you want to make it hard. But when he says Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, you know, you might scratch your head a little bit. There are some hard passages. That is the truth. In fact, the person who writes this here says this, we have much to say about this Melchizedekian priesthood of Christ, and it is hard to explain. It's hard to explain. 
he uses the word, part of the word that comes into our language in the word hermeneutics, which is the fancy word for the study of how to interpret scripture. And he puts a negative particle on the front. He calls it dishermeneuticos. It's hard to explain. Are there some things that's hard for me to explain to you as the preacher? Yes, there are. Some things that were hard for this person to explain. Listen to these ver this verse from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8. This is the best description I have ever seen of preaching. In Nehemiah 8.8, 8, it says, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense, and they helped them to understand the reading. That is the job of the preacher, to help you understand. This person who God was using to inspire his word, who God was giving the inspired word through, he said, there are some things hard to explain. There's no doubt about that. But the third reality is the one that comes home to roost. Look at verse 11. There is a lot to say. It is hard to explain. But the problem is you are dull of hearing. The word dull of hearing here literally means slow. Slow to hear. How do you be slow to hear? He's going to tell us what happened to them as we go on through the passage. But there's an important little phrase here, too, that we need to, a little word. You have become slow of hearing. What does that mean? You have become. Well, it clearly infers that there was a time in their life when they were not slow to hear the Word of God. It was not hard for them to understand. Now, typically, when is that time for many people? Often that time is when a person is brand new in Christ. Why is it easy for them to understand the Word of God? Because they're so eager. They want to know all the stuff that they haven't learned so far. And then after a while, some things happen like we're going to learn right here. Let's go on to verse 12, an excuse number two for not understanding the Word of God. The first excuse was, it's hard to understand. And he says, no, that's not the reality. There are parts that are hard to understand. The reality is you're dull of hearing. In verse 12, the excuse is, I don't have the gift of teaching. Have you ever said that? Oh, I don't have the gift of teaching. After today's sermon, you better not say it around me. Look what he says there. This is an amazing statement. This is... This is Perhaps the only place in Scripture, I think, where this statement is made. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Wow. You know what he seems to be saying the reality is? The reality is many Christians set their sights far too low. Now, you know, there are some people... There, when I watch the Olympics... I'm, I'm kind of amazed. I mean, I, I was on some athletic teams. That, that probably doesn't surprise you, looking at me. <sighs> probably surprises you to know that I made it all the way to the end of the season, right? And so I, I have a little concept of athletic practice and exercise and that sort of thing. And I look at Olympic athletes. And I just think, what in the world drives them? I, I, I cannot personally relate to that. I really can't re relate to being driven that hard. And then you hear their stories, and, and when they're a little kid, they, they look at an ice skater and they go, man, that's what I want to do. 
And you know, some of those people, even as small children, set their sights on the Olympics. And you know what? They get there. Because their sights are set high. Is it the Air Force that you had the advertising campaign that said, aim high? <laughs> well, that's good when you're flying an airplane especially. Don't aim low. That's bad. <laughs> you know what, Christian? We're setting our sights too low. By some accounts, this book was written 30 years after Christ had come and carried on his ministry and left. And it's possible that some of these people, because they are Jewish believers, and the, the nucleus of Jewish believers started in Jerusalem, it's possible that some of these people had known the Lord for 30 years. And after 30 years, they're saying, I, I can't understand the Bible, it's hard. And under God's inspiration, the author says, you should be teachers by now. He said, your sights are set way too low. Is it possible that your struggle to understand the word of God is because you have convinced yourself you can't do it? Maybe some of you are C students or D students. You really have a hard time in the academic world. And so you automatically think, well, it's a book. I couldn't understand those books, so I won't understand this book. And so the book looks like that at your house. But the truth is, the Word of God is not mentally understood alone. It is spiritually understood. These people had set their sights too low. Now... Is every person in, in this room going to someday be a preacher and stand up here and preach the word of God? I wish that were true. Because we could start a hundred and however many churches are here. Well, half that many. Ladies, you can, you're not going to be standing up here. You can stand in the ladies' Sunday school class. Your sights are set too low. God's goal for you. What is God's goal? Look in verse 14. God's goal for you is to be of full age or mature. I think the NIV uses the word mature. The word actually means to be brought to completion. It's the same word that Jesus uttered on the cross when he said, it is finished. It is completed. When are you going to be completed, Christian? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, I believe, when is the work on your life going to be done? When you see Jesus face to face. At your death or at the rapture, whichever comes first. You're going to be done. Ding. Done. You know why you're going to be done? Because 1 John 3, 1 says, When we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And God is going to complete the transformation. Man, that's going to be a great day. But you know what's supposed to be happening between now and then? You're supposed to be marching toward that perfection. This word is often translated perfection. Solid food belongs to those who are perfect. Now our concept of perfect means without flaw. God's concept of perfect means completed, finished, done. 
Here are some other verses. Colossians 1.28. We preach Jesus, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect or complete in Christ. The Apostle Paul said, my goal is to minister to people so that they would be mature believers in Christ. He has this imagery of presenting somebody to Jesus. Can you imagine in heaven, say, a Jesus, I'd like you to meet Marilyn. She's one of my disciples. You better do a good job. It'll make me look bad. That's what Paul says. He says, I want to present every man to Jesus. Perfect. Now, Paul wasn't thinking that he did the work himself. Don't, don't get a misconception there. He knew he was working with God and with God's word. Paul said, this is the goal, that people be perfect or mature. James 1.4, let patience have its perfect work. That famous text on trials, patience is to mature you so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 1 Peter 5.10, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God expects you to grow. He expects you to come to a mature understanding of the Word of God. If your goal is anything less than that, it's too low. If you have told yourself, well, I'm going to be a pew sitter. That's just what I am. Pastor Dave, he's the upfront guy. Glenn is the assistant upfront guy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we have, we kind of have several tiers, and I'm on the bottom tier. Friends, if you've told yourself that, that's wrong. God says you should be striving to be teachers. Not that everyone will be. Think about these people here, folks. Think about this. The recipient of the book of Hebrews, whom God said you should be teachers by now, they didn't have a nicely printed, leather-bound Bible with maps, notes, and a concordance. They probably, the average person probably didn't even own a physical piece of the Word of God. They had to go to church to hear it. That's why I think in 1 Timothy he says, give attention to the reading of the Word. These people didn't have anything close to the resource you have. And yet he says, you should be teachers by now. Well, you think if you're going to be a teacher, at least you should have the book in your hand. They didn't have any Bible colleges or seminaries. Yet God said they should be teachers. They didn't have any Christian book and music publishers pumping out worship and study tools day after day. Yet God said they should be teachers. If you had joined the Marines last, let's say, November, and you were in the middle of basic training or, or at the end of basic training and starting your advanced training about January. And you were an infantry person or a mechanized uh, uh, person, you know, in charge of shooting some projectile at the enemy. Do you suppose you'd work hard to learn really well what you were going to do? Or would you sit there and think, well, you know, I know this thing's heating up over there, over there in Iraq, but I'm not going to worry about it. No. I think you'd want to be an expert. I, heard a, I read a true story of a person who was an assistant for a chaplain. Do you know what a chaplain's assistant does in wartime? 
He keeps the chaplain alive. You know why? Chaplains can't carry guns. They're non-combatants. They can pick them up and defend themselves if, you know, worse comes to worse. The chaplain's assistant is essentially a bodyguard. And this chaplain says to this assistant, he said, how did you score on the rifle range? And he said, expert or whatever it was. He said, I want you to go over here and learn this and this and this and this, these different weapons. Hey, if your life depended on it, you'd want a guy who could keep you alive too. The problem is, folks, your life depends on this book. And you're aiming to be mediocre marksmen. That's just wrong. And that was what these folks were doing. And he says, no, 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 don't aim down there. You should be aiming to be teachers. You are in a fight for your life. Satan is fighting you, and he's fighting you through the world, and your own sin nature and the habits are fighting you. The reality is we need to aim higher. The second reality is we have regressed. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. These folks started out on the Christian life and then went backwards. The word again is actually put right up front in this sentence, and it should read like this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, again you need some basic instruction. I think the truth of this little phrase is this, folks. You're either moving forward or backward in the Christian life. What happens when you stand still on the battlefield? Why were they making such a brouhaha this last week about whether or not we were moving forward or standing still in Iraq? Well, part of the reason is because when you stand still, you give the enemy a chance to dig in and prepare to fight you. As long as you're moving ahead, you're keeping him off balance. These folks appear to have been given an excuse like this. Well, you know, it's hard to understand, and we're just struggling along a little bit at a time. He says, no. No, he said, folks, the truth is, you started, and then you went backwards. So that, again, you need this basic instruction. The third reality here is this. The problem with these folks was they were not using the word. Look at verse 13. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word unskilled literally means without trial or without testing and it corresponds to the word in verse 14 that says, by reason of use. The word did not become part of them. They took in the truth, but it did not become part of them through use. I took a piano class in eighth grade. I went to a summer music workshop. It was a wonderful experience. I was there for maybe six weeks. And... Uh, 
I took a piano class. Everybody had to take a piano class. It was a group class. We all had our little electronic keyboards and our earphones, and, and uh, they taught me something. Well, that's that ain't the right spot to start. Would you like me to play a chord? Want me to play another chord? Now, I took piano for six weeks every day. Now, now I'm not stupid. Don't, don't say anything. I mean, I'm obviously capable of learning some things. I have some physical skills. You can come to my house and see that. Why, why don't I know any more than what I just played for you right there? You know, I, I do know the names of the keys, but I have to start at C and work my way up. Why is that? Because I didn't practice. And so if I was going to learn the piano today, which I won't, and I'll get that out of the way right now, I would have to learn the basic things again. In fact, the word he uses for basic things here is could be translated the ABCs. It's a word that was used to refer to that, the rudimentary particles. Because I learned the basics and I never used them, it's as though I haven't even learned them to begin with. He says, that's what happens in the Christian life. When you come here and hear the word taught, or when you read the word and then fail to test it, to use it, to put it to practice, you go backwards. I'm glad to see your seat filled today. But I will be thrilled to hear that you have put to use something you learned from God's word here. Filling the pews is not our goal. Making disciples is our goal. People who take the word and use it. Well, what's the third excuse that these folks gave? I think the third excuse is something like this. I'm not able to understand the deeper truth. I think at first they were saying, I can't understand anything. And then he goes on to say, verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those, here's the definition of being mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They said, I'm not able, able to understand the truth. I think the author said, the first step in learning is using what you learn. And again, the, the word here used for the beginning things is the ABCs, or maybe even most literally translated the rudiments, the basic elements of knowledge. Why do we teach children their ABCs? Okay, well, because... Those are the components of words, and words are the components of communication, both written and verbal. You have to learn the ABCs. That's important. The milk of God's word, the basic truths of God's word are important. You learn those, but then by practice with those, you go on to the more significant truth. And the way you do that, he says is by reason of use. 
by reason of use. When we talk about learning, we understand that the personal, physical involvement of the student is a key to genuine learning. That's why good teachers require you to read, write, research, and take tests, and do projects on the material, not just sit in class and listen. If your student went to school and sat in lectures in first grade, where the teacher lectured on the ABCs and then sent them home at the end of the day with no practice, either verbally or on paper, you would be trying to make a change. Because you'd say, the kid needs to practice. In fact, the reason the teacher is sending work home at night, which you parents are going, eh, don't do that, is because your kid needs to practice. When I was in fourth grade, my teacher thought I needed to practice. And I didn't. With the Think and Do book. Think and Do, it was all about phonics. And you know, they'd have a whole page of practice on a concept. And <laughs> I've never been one to practice, hence the piano. We learn it, we go on. The teacher didn't agree with that. <laughs> So I just filled in the page all willy-nilly. Pass that thing in. What a waste of time. Well, the teacher and my parents didn't think it was a waste of time. And I got to do it anyway. God says we need to practice. The word reason of use here gives us the concept of a habit, something, an ability that's acquired by practice or use. How does a baby gain the ability to hold its head up? Well, by constantly, you know, they're, they're moving their head around all the time, and that constant movement is actually exercise. And the problem with the baby is twofold. One is the muscles are not strong enough, and number two, they don't have the mental ability to coordinate. That's why they're going, hey, whoa, whoa, what's that? You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. As they work their little bodies around, they get stronger. And pretty soon they get strong enough to stand up. And then you're in really big trouble. <laughs> but it's about strength and coordination. And those only come by practice. Look at physical athletics. You know, in football, my son played football and I helped with the team. And the coach was always talking about the fundamentals. You got to learn the fundamentals, you know, the, the low guy wins, and the high guy gets knocked over. It's all these fundamentals. So you learn those in the context of practicing and your physical muscles get stronger. My son's coach said, I'm not going to send anybody on the field who's not strong enough to take the hits. I don't want them to get hurt. There's physical strength that's needed. But then there is skill. My son loves to play football. And in his fourth year, his coach said to me, your son has no talent for this game whatsoever. <laughs> but he loved to play. He had the strength, but not something else, whatever it is. God says, Christian, you need to practice the Christian life. We're talking about knowing the word today. How do you practice knowing the word? Well, you start reading it. Are you going to understand everything you read tomorrow morning? No. No. You shouldn't be surprised, and I shouldn't be surprised. 
But what would you say to the athlete who says to the coach, hey coach, you know, I really get tired when I exercise. And you know, that one drill that you like us to do, you know, I'm not too good at that. So I, I, I'd like to skip that drill. And then on game day, oh hey, first string right here, buddy, put me in. And you'd go, well, idiot, you have to build up your strength, you have to get your coordination. Hey, Christian, same thing, same thing. Game day comes for us in the form of trials. And we wonder why the trial knocks us off our feet. Well, it's because we don't have the strength and the coordination. God says we need to be exercising. Our senses need to be exercised. The word for senses here means mental faculties of perception. And they have to be exercised and trained to discern both good and evil. Turn with me to John chapter 9. I want to, talk, I want to look at a guy who started exercising immediately. Man, I love this guy. John chapter 9. John chapter 9, verse 13. Jesus healed a man who was blind. And in verse 13 it says, They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who should know the truth. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay. Jesus had made clay and anointed his eyes. You might remember that story. Verse 15, Then the Pharisees asked the man again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he, Jesus, put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, speaking of Jesus. This man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can one who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among him. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He's a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents said, We don't know. We know he's our son, but that's it. Talk to him. Look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. They were chicken. Hey, hey we could stop right there. Is it really a knowledge problem sometimes for us when we're talking about the things of the Lord? Is it really that we don't understand? Or are we afraid? Let's go on, verse 23. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and he said to him, give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. They wanted the guy who was healed to look at Jesus and go, man, this guy is terrible because he healed me on the Sabbath day. Now verse 25, this guy is brand new to this, and look what he does in verse 25. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I can see. They said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> this is where he really takes them apart. He said to them, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him. They said, oh, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from? Yet he opened my eyes. He's going, 
You guys are the religious leaders and you don't know this guy? What a, what a rebuke to them. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, then God hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And the answer is yes, he was teaching them. Now listen, folks, what seminary did that guy go to? What Bible did he read? Now he might have had Old Testament knowledge. He, he seems to allude to Old Testament knowledge. But he didn't read it. What did he do? He got saved and he took his experience and a little bit of common sense and he went, guys, how can a sinner do something like this? He argued theologically two minutes after Jesus did a miracle for him. You know what he was doing? He was using what he knew. And he even says, he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. He says, I'll tell you one thing, I was blind, now I can see. He was using what he knew immediately. And I think that's what God's talking about in Hebrews 5 when he says, you should be teachers by now. Every one of you sitting here has something you're good at. Some of you are wonderful cooks. Some of you have some physical skills. Nothing I love better than to pick up the phone and say, Ben Hughes, help me with my plumbing. You know, call Mike Anderson, come over and help me pipe this thing into my new gas range. I love people with those physical skills. Can you teach somebody something you know? Yeah. If you know how to cook, you could say, well, here's how I do it. Boom, 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 boom. If you know how to plumb, you could say, well, here's how you do it. And he taught me a couple things while he was plumbing last time in my house. This time I did it without him. So far, so good. <laughs> you can teach anything you know. The second reality here is this. The second step of learning is training. The first step is knowledge. We do have to gain the knowledge of the truth. We have to use what we have and we have to practice with it. We have to develop strength and coordination. One of the authors I read this week said this, the characteristic of maturity emphasized here is the ability of discernment. Good judgment comes with the accumulation of, of experiences and this demands the passage of time. Through practice, that is the skill acquired by experience, the believer's spiritual senses are trained like an athlete. This enables him to distinguish between good and evil in his daily walk and thus to maintain that righteousness of life which chooses the good and shuns the evil. God says we can become spiritually sharp and know what's right and wrong. I had an upper division Bible class at college, at Bible college, me and about a dozen guys who were going in the ministry. And every Monday, our teacher came in and we had a little diddly assignment due every Monday. It wasn't, it was just writing down some questions or something. It wasn't anything. You know, we'd been in school for three years, four years. 
And one Monday he came in, he says, turn in your homework. And about two guys, maybe out of 10 or 12, out of 12, hand in their homework. And in his usual calm but cutting way, he said, what are you guys going to do when you're in the ministry? You're going to stand up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and say, sorry, folks, I didn't have time to get my homework done this week. Oh, man, wanted to crawl under the chair. Yeah, what would you think if I showed up here and said, well, you know, it's really busy this week. You know, I had to do some stuff at home. See ya. Well, you think, you lazy son of a gun? Get busy, do your work. Here's a question, folks. Am I the only one who has to do his homework to understand the Word of God? Let's stop blaming the dog for eating our homework and get busy with the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. It is our great privilege to have it and to know it and to live it. You have not left us in the dark. You've told us everything we need to know for life and godliness. What a privilege is ours. Father, may we not give any more excuses. May we invest ourselves in your word and may it blossom in our life. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church P.O. Box 69 Ferndale, Washington 98248 Telephone 360-384-3111 We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.